0: Hello and welcome to our Walk in the Sand edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. It's been a few weeks since we've last talked and so much has happened. We've got election results that put us right back where we began, conservative infighting, more prime ministerial apologies, a leaderless Green Party and so much more. Joining me to spill some tea are my colleagues fresh off their respective campaigns. Claire Michaels, who was the manager of scripting in the Conservative War Room. Kathy Moore, Alberta co-chair on the National Election Readiness Committee for the Liberal Party. And Matt Barnes, who was the campaign manager for Liberal MP Marcy Ian in Toronto Centre. They break down what happened and what we can expect of the major party leaders in the next few weeks. This is Political Traction. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. As I mentioned in the introduction, I've got three of my amazing colleagues with me and what we decided to do for our sort of brand re-entry is to replicate a really interesting panel we had at our company retreat last week with some, obviously, as you know, some pretty fun, insightful insiders. And we actually had two of them, Claire and Matt, on the podcast before the election dropped. So I thought it'd be great to sort of come back to them now that they finally come back to our offices after working so hard on both campaigns to sort of, you know, talk through the election, what happened and a little bit, and also just talk through what's happening with the leaders right now, which I think is pretty fascinating. So thank all of you guys for coming on the pod today. Looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thanks for having nice. us. Uh, maybe first question uh, to you, my liberal friends on this podcast, just because I think uh, you're, you're guys making a bit more news this week uh, than maybe he had hoped. Um you know, it was a tough campaign and, you know, Matt and, and Kathy, I'd love to hear your insights on, on that. I think, well, I think Kathy, I know you, you think it's quite as tough as maybe I thought it was. Um, and then we obviously saw, you know, Trudeau, he's a great campaigner kind of elbow up, get into it, uh, and succeed. But the interesting thing to me is since the election win, it seems like they're moving very slowly. Like, I feel like normally there's a lot more noise. You're doing announcements. I know you want to break, I get it, but he, he took a, Vacation day, or whatever you want to say, on Truth and Reconciliation Day, which has caused all kinds of uproar, and I finally had to apologize for it this week. Um, but what's happening over there at like Liberal HQ? I mean, you guys have been around in government for six years; like you figure you know how to do transition. This is your, I think, your third kick at the can. Um, so maybe I'll go first to you, Kathy.
1: Um. Yeah. Well. It, it, I know some of the transitions in the past have taken up to about a month, which it sounds like it probably will be by the time the new cabinet goes in. Um, I think we've still got some in recount, judicial recount. um, So that kind of slows up a little bit of a process. Um, And I think he's just looking, I think people, um, not that everybody needs a break, but everybody's been through this pandemic election and, you know, it's been tough on everybody. And um, so I think they're just taking their time. Matt may know, more Matt, I mean, some I,
0: great I, death star plan that's going to roll out in the next week or are they just tired
2: i mean I, i'd love to start my first response by immediately disagreeing with you that seems like <laughs> the first way to go about it like it's not it wasn't a change election it's not a new government so yes we know a cabinet shuffle of some sort is going to happen but the caretaker mode has stopped ministers are working we have uh, Minister Ng, I just saw, came back from Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister has made a number of announcements uh, yesterday on on mandatory vaccination. So, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's hoping for a big, like, you know, firework showstopper kind of announcement, but uh, the work is happening. Are, are we waiting for the House to resume? Absolutely. Are we waiting for the fun speculative cabinet shuffle? For sure. But. Um, At least the sense I get here in Ottawa is that people are, um, although some definitely want to break, people are working again.
0: Are they? Are they pissed about Truth and Reconciliation Day and how that sort of knocked you guys around over the last few days? Like, is there a real frustration with that? Or, I mean, he's had these sort of things. I mean, obviously, it was a deliberate choice. Like, I don't think any political staffer worth their salt, or any politician for that matter, would take a look at that decision and not say, Hey, I think we may get ourselves into trouble here. We've all, I've been in scenarios where I've literally looked at my boss and been like, if you do this, like, these are all the bad things that will happen. And they are like, I do not care because I have X other considerations, be they personal or be they just, I need a break or whatever. And you're like, all right, let's batten down the hatches team. It's going to be like a really shitty 48 hours. Um, But to me, this seems like it's lasting beyond that. I'm not sure if it sticks to him. It's just sort of like Blackface didn't stick to him and some of the other stuff. He seems to still have a bit of Teflon. But are people, are liberals mad that that, like this is the thing people are talking about? You won an election and everyone's talking about like the Tofino vacation.
2: I mean, maybe I'll jump in there. I'd say people are, are certainly disappointed. I don't think mad is the right word, but I think the prime minister's comments are, are reflective of how most people felt as soon as they heard the news, right? Like, it, it, sure, it took him a few more days to apologize, but uh, people across the political spectrum, liberals included, were were obviously aware, as you say, like you, you, can't, you don't always agree with the decisions uh, people choose to make, and it was obviously um, uh, not a, a good one. <laughs> so uh, I think I remember when I heard, I was like, "Oh, great!" It took us all of a week and a half. before <laughs> We had our first. You know, mm-hmm. So I, I think disappointed is is probably a fine word. I'm not. I'm not sure mad would be. Uh, <laughs> would be a, a character I think
0: right I now. was actually walking with you when we we saw the news, and you were like, yeah. "Oh, well, it's been a week and a half. <laughs> it was me." Yeah, I was like, "I was like, you did what?" I was, um, Claire, you know, obviously. I think conservatives, whether they should or should not be, are disappointed with the results. Um, you know, I think it's funny. People probably forget at the beginning we thought the liberals were going to storm to a victory, and they did not. Um, they still won. Uh, I don't think conservatives made the gains they sort of had hoped or promised. Um, but what do you make of sort of the post-election kerfuffle? I mean, you can, we can talk about the, the liberal stuff, but I'd be really curious. There um, seems to be quite a bit of infighting on our side of the tent fence, whatever you want to say as well.
3: Yeah, I don't think I was gonna get off easy there. So yes, that is a fair question about uh, what what happens to our movement now. I do know that Aaron is an extremely hard worker. The team that he has surrounded himself with is uh, is is the best, frankly. I um, I really enjoyed working with them while I was on the on the campaign trail, and now he's got to do the hard work of reaching out to caucus, reaching out to the dissenters. I can say that. Um, oh, at the grassroots level, I think there are a lot of people who, uh, feel like Aaron, Aaron did a good job considering what, that the, the stakes were against us that, you know, Trudeau could have, uh, marched in with the majority government, but at the same time, um, we do have to address those real concerns for members that, you know, we can, we can get it done next
0: time. And we talked a little, I want to ask all of you guys a bit, like the most underreported story in the election. Like, I really want your insight because I think that was an interesting answer you all gave, um, to our Navigator colleagues. But Claire, you had an interesting point about like the PPC and, you know, it kind of became a phenomenon in the campaign. They, still, they got, I think, like 800,000 votes across Canada. So to me, that is significant. Um, but what what do you think of those, those voters and what effect did they have on the campaign?
3: For sure. And I think if you dig a little deeper, um, I think when you saw us not decide to pander to that group, it was based on research that we were seeing that, um, PPC was drawing from one issue voters, from voters, not just from the conservatives, but uh, from the NDP, from the Greens. Um, so they were pulling pulling votes from, from all of the parties and then, and then from people who don't typically engage in elections unless there's an issue that they're passionate about, which is this. Um, that said, I do realize, I think, in, the, in our own navigator research that we did, um, that um, it was a factor, especially for liberal and liberal leaning voters, um, when they were standing in lines on election day, um, they were thinking about all those protests and, and how um, concerning the PPC's actions were and, and, and that was a heavy factor in their vote that they voted out of fear um, for, for what it would mean if, if um, that sort of party gained traction.
0: So you're saying there was a stop the p as opposed to like a stop the conservative, which is like a typical thing the liberals and I think did a good job of to a certain extent. There was actually a stop the PPC sort of impact that we didn't we've never really talked about that.
3: One hundred percent. I think uh, I think um, people felt really concerned about these anti-maskers and. I think they saw um, as one way to stop them, especially if you're a traditional liberal voter or a liberal leaning voter, um, that that was a concrete way to stop them because the NDP um, just couldn't
0: couldn't muster muster the support to form government. <laughs> and I know we don't have any NDP people on here, but I feel like I could do an entire episode about like the NDP's lack of any sort of instinct to fight. They are just thrilled to bits with the, the results they've had here. And I find that utterly... Utterly mystifying that they're just like, Yeah, look, we did great. I'm like, did you? Look at how you did before. But anyway, um, Kathy, what do you you're at West, uh, and I feel like us us Easterners and Center of the <laughs> Universers um sort of lose the plot a bit about what's going on out there. But what's been the vibe at West since the campaign is wrapped?
1: Well, and not to speak for the NDP, but I'll tell you just, you know, I mean, we the progressive vote. Of course, one NDs won two seats, Liberals won two seats in Alberta. And that was a lot driven by, you know, once again, just like Claire mentioned, um, you know, that anti-PPC thing, as well as, you know, just the the State of the Union in Alberta right now um, with the COVID and uh, just, you know, it's a terrible situation here right now. Um, And that kind of keeps... Driving it, I, I think I mentioned on our panel the other day how the West tends to be, not always, kind of an afterthought, and this time um, being able, the, the party being able to link Mr. O'Toole with um, the Premier of Alberta saying, you know, you've been handling the pandemic so well. well, where the reality on the ground was people are, you know, tough, you know, not only with the illness, but for their businesses, et cetera, going through the fourth wave here. So um, it did play a major role comparatively, and um, you're still seeing that in that after effect because we're still in the fourth wave here.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been interesting to watch Alberta kind of evolve, right? Because it was a conservative stronghold ever and ever and ever mm-hmm. and ever and ever, really. And then we saw kind of, you know, let's give a shot to Rachel Notley and NDP. Okay, maybe not. We'll go right back to the conservatives who've, I think, done god bless i have friends that are working in the government but i think a face plant of epic proportions what is it 11 approval rating for jason Kenney at this moment it's it's not ideal for him yeah. and so now you you've got like a couple and there's been liberal seats there before right um yeah and yeah. McCle- mcclellan right she was there for yeah. all deputy yeah but there's ndp seats now federally which i don't think we've had so do you think there's a shifting tide a bit with the gentrification of the, the seat? like alberta will should no longer be taken for granted as some conservative bloc, but we should actually look at it as more accessible for the other parties?
1: Well, I think in this election specifically, um, I think the average voter probably in Alberta, and you'll see in the past, um, even though the conservatives would win in rural seats, um, liberals would come in second. Almost across the board, NDs took most of those second spots. And I think that's very much tied to kind of their thoughts on the provincial election. Um, you know, and especially in Edmonton, NDP, very strong, but kind of boosted by Rachel Notley. Um, Just anecdotally, when we've been out in the doors, you know, people would say, you know, I'm going to vote NDP to get rid of Jason Kenney. And you were like, "Um, this is a federal election, right? So you're kind of like, you know, so I mean, there is crossover. Will that hold? I don't know. Who knows in Alberta, right? Um, I would never have saw this coming. You know, Premier Kenney that low in the polls.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. I thought we were yeah. looking at like, frankly, I thought like, hey, okay, this is he'll do this, and then he'll run to BPM. I thought he yeah. was on that track, and I know I was around him in Ottawa, and not a lot. I think he's still a very sophisticated political operator. But this, anyway, you miscalculate. I think with COVID, which is also to speak to, I think interestingly, how much Doug Ford has actually found his feet um, in the last six months, like, and where they are now, I think is a, is like a real like testament to it because they were not like that. It's been very interesting to watch them pivot. And I think very smartly do so. Um, I asked you all this question uh, and we had obviously our, our rules. There were Chatham House rules where you can't say stuff. So we got some real interesting tidbits, but I'm hoping I can get a version of that from you. What do you think the most underreported story of this election campaign was or what surprised you the most about it? Uh, Matt, to you first.
2: Uh, I uh, truthfully can't even remember what I said at retreat. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you were, uh, you
0: uh, were pickled from all the alcohol we drank at
2: the, uh, the angel Inn every. evening. <laughs> potentially, potentially, um, So, I I mean, uh, underreported, I think like the the media obviously found their issues that they stuck to with which with a lot of help from uh, the various parties that wanted, you know, things like assault rifles or uh, vaccinated candidates to be wedge issues. Um, I'd say that oddly, and maybe this is just because I've read research recently on it, the platforms felt underreported. Like I found I was uh, involved in more of the ground game but i found you know well through the campaign i still didn't even know what was in our platform because i was spending you know most of the days just hammering in three messages which is what you're you're supposed to do but i've read research recently that said a lot of people do read the platforms and they do impact their votes so i can well, <laughs> see clearly People read to jump the in. platforms? No way. I didn't believe it either. <laughs>
0: I didn't read the platforms. I skimmed like sections of them. That's about as best as I could do. It was like the conservatives, like 180 pages. It was bananas. But anyway, so that's so that's your. uh, Yeah, Though I think that's that's interesting. I agree with you. Oh, actually, it was interesting you say that because I was I was hosting a show and not mine and the platform dropped that day. And I was like, oh, there'll be lots. Oh, there's like, what are we going to talk about? There's nothing to talk about today. I'm like, they just released 180 page platform. I'm like, we could pick any page of this. There's like multiple, there's so much shit in here, but it's so complicated. I think to unpack and newsrooms are so under-resourced. The idea of understanding that stuff is to me, is so hard. Um, Claire, what do you either, you can cherry pick the answer to this question. I'm double bearing you, which is as a no, no, uh, typically, but either, um, most underreported story or thing that surprised you the most.
3: Yeah, and I'll say just on the platform, um, we had planned out, you know, 36 days, one message a day to highlight key portions of the platform and drive one message of of the day as opposed to three, which uh, I think speaks to the discipline of our campaign. But um, the one one story that I thought was underreported was our animal welfare policy, which got a lot of support from stakeholder groups, you know, banning puppy mills, uh, imposing a a national ban on, on cosmetic uh, testing of animals, um, helping um, uh, partners in domestic violence flee with their pets. Like there was a lot of good stuff in our animal welfare policy that sort of the, the stakeholder, the rescue community
0: recognized, but I don't think it got the play that, uh, that it may have, have needed. I felt like that one popped. Um, I don't know if it had like the, the legs beyond that day, but from an, like, from well, also to be fair, as people who frequently listen will know, I'm like, as Claire also does rescue stuff and fosters, but I loved in you know, fostering animals and dogs and stuff like that. But, um, I thought it was really smart. One of your, your better days because it had him, he was frolicking around in a field with like puppies. I was like, what's the better, I'm like this, how can this guy be scary? Look at him. He's like running around with people like, why would they do this? This is such a waste of a day. And I'm like, because you get visuals across the country of Aaron O'Toole with like cute dogs. And we all know dog people are the best people, except for bunny people are okay too, Claire. But
2: is there anything- also, that, who, to, huh? who could hate that announcement? It was like the safest announcement in the world. Nobody's gonna be, it just raises the question. Wait a minute, this hasn't already been done. <laughs> But we, well, were yeah. the only,
3: we were the only party talking about it, right? And so we got credit for that. So I think there's something to be said for, you know, finding those policies um, that think outside the box and reach a, a um, reach a group of Canadians that you wouldn't typically reach in a in a campaign. Did it come,
0: you mentioned it came up with the doors though, right? People actually remembered it?
3: Yeah, well, I, this is more from my personal experience and, and experience of my friends, but we, we went up to a lot of doors on election day where, you know, there was a foster sticker on the door or a rescue sticker on the door. Um, so it was really interesting to see, um, our supporters. I mean, I it's a correlation as opposed to causation, but Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to think that it moved the needle a little bit. Claire's using fancy words.
0: Uh, Kathy, uh, what about you?
1: Um, I don't know if it was the most underreported thing, but I do find, you know, the media was focusing on all these different issues, which of course are important, but I found anecdotally at the doors, people were so, which I've never seen in my time, because of course, there's never been a pandemic, but people actually happy that the federal government was helping them. The one time they needed, whether it be financial assistance or getting vaccines or something, you kind of got that even from people who weren't even supportive of the liberals. And you know, Mr. Trudeau, there's a lot of people in Alberta who don't like him when you go to his door, but even those people were supportive of that. And so you just knew in your gut that this was, you know, people were at least somewhat happy if that was their main thing in life um, to go with us. And I just think uh, the media didn't really super focus on that. Right. Yeah. Although our, our um, research showed that.
0: Um, I want to look forward just with our last little bit of few minutes that we have with you guys. And, um, you know, specifically I have kind of, well, one, I have a question just specifically for Matt and then I have, a, uh, a long a question for all of you. Um, but Matt, we mentioned that there is a, uh, we know that there, there's, you mentioned to me that there's all the black van or whatever, you know, SUVs, ministerial vehicles are like popping in and out of, you know, next to, they don't call it Langevin anymore. It's called what building now? Do we know the name? Anyway.
2: Prime
0: minister's office um, now. The, is it called? Okay. It's just not, it doesn't even have a name. It's just the prime minister's office. So there's the For those who haven't been, there's like the the PMO, which is across the street from Parliament Hill, and it's a big building, and you can kind of park the car. So we know those black vehicles are coming in and out, and people are going for meetings. Um, When do we think the shuffle is going to happen, and, you know, should we expect any big surprises? Or any surprises?
2: Um, Well, I I I'm doing the same math. Everyone else is, I think, who's paying attention. I mean, the only people who know aren't talking about it and everybody True. who doesn't know is talking about it. So, um, I mean, I saw the GG is traveling from the 17th to the 21st, so you can't do it without her. So it's either before <laughs> or after that. Um, but I mean, I know that at Obviously, the government wants to get back at it uh, very quickly, especially if they plan to pass anything before um, the holidays. Um, it doesn't leave a huge, huge window uh, of the House sitting to do much. So everything kind of hinges on that. In terms of in terms of uh, movement of, of ministers, I mean, it's all speculative. I think we can obviously say, based on the election, priorities have shifted. There's new regional dynamics. There's four female ministers that either didn't win or didn't re-offer, which means there's four more, at least four more uh, female women MPs to put into cabinet, like, especially if the prime minister is committed to gender parity, which he said he is. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of speculation. You can, you can go on there and, and where people um, end up, obviously. Um not to say anyone's moving, but there's certainly an emphasis, continued emphasis on health, on housing, on uh, what's happened at DND. Um, so I think that they definitely need to demonstrate seriousness in those kind of categories.
0: Yeah, I think if the if the DND minister stays, I don't know that would be. I can't imagine that'll be the case, but we we shall see. To your point. Okay, so we had an interesting election where uh, we basically ended up exactly where we started from a seat count. There's a couple uh, shifts, obviously a few. Um, So there's lots of speculation about leadership. I know we didn't talk too much about that um, on the conservative side, but we did a little bit. So my question to three of you as people who were all involved in this last campaign, who will likely be involved in the next one. Do you think, which leaders do you think we'll see next time? Assuming it's within the next two to four years, right? In the next two to four years, there will be another election. Do we think Trudeau will still be there? Do we think Aaron O'Toole will be there? And do we think Jagmeet Singh will be there? We know the Greens will have a new leader if the Green Party even exists, given how they're a disaster, but do you think all three of them will be there, or do you think anyone's going to take that metaphorical walk in the snow or be forced out, um, Claire? I think you should just invite us back in a few months, and we can uh,
3: reassess. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I know I, it's hard to say at this point. But I know Aaron is is doing all the hard work to make sure that we're running again. We're hoping that that we have the support of all of all the conservative members um, heading into the spring. So um, just you know, putting our head down and making sure we do the hard work to make sure that um, we're, we're in the strongest position possible for the next election.
0: Do you think Trudeau will still be there?
3: Uh, I do not, but uh, that's not based on anything scientific
0: or factual, but.
1: Yeah, uh, no, just I think we're all
0: speculating, but I, uh, yeah. yeah. What about you, Kathy?
1: Well, I hope they're all there still. Um, I hope they're all alive so. and happy. I just don't know yeah. if they'll be the leaders. um, <laughs> Do you know, I, I actually think this minority government could last longer than others. And you've heard many people speculate on that. Um, uh, so how long that goes, I'm, I don't know. Um, but uh, total speculation, if it goes past three years, maybe he would consider leaving the prime minister. Um, but I don't
2: know. Matt? Matt? Uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with Claire on the fact that, like, I think uh, O'Toole ran a good campaign and probably deserves to stay. Uh, will he? Uh, I'm, I'm less sure. Like, even looking at what's come out of caucus, he's walking on eggshells of a potential review at any moment. That is not a great position to be in uh, in that sort of caucus, I would think. But a lot can change in in two years, right? There really is a lot to to how they manage it. Um, To your point, what you said earlier, Amanda, about uh, Mr. Singh, like somehow everyone's happy with status quo there. So I I mean, again, it comes down to caucus dynamics and how that team uh, is managing internally. Um, As for the prime minister, I mean, he won an election, and as a liberal, I like liberals who win elections. So I mean, I hope he's there.
0: Yeah, I think so I'm I will say when I think the NDP have the killer stick of guppies if they think the drug meat thing is going to deliver any future victory for them and I do not understand that party I, but I don't even live there voting wise so maybe that's why I'm not uh I think I think the PM if he wanted to stay he very well could I do think the as we've talked about on the show that kind of patina of government like you know there was a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate towards him. It's really weird, and like I know we saw it viscerally with some of these protests. But I feel like, like with any leader, this happens. Right, the longer they're in government, like they, like, you know, Kathleen Wynne was hated at the end, Harper's hated at the end, um, and then eventually it swings back, and people remember all the lovely things and the stuff that pisses you off goes fuzzy. But to me, I do think that is a bit of a chain around his neck. Is that enough to get him out of there? I don't think so. It's still very much a party that he revived. Uh, and not to mention the fact that there's no center of power outside of Freeland really. I mean, you could argue Carney kind of, but you know, he's not, he didn't even run. So, uh, anyway, I think you guys are probably, if you want, I think it's his. also he's young, right? Like, I don't know what's happening this week with everything. There's a really weird vibe happening there, but so I feel like he will probably be there would be my guess. Unless to Kathy's point, it's four more years from now. And maybe he's just like, okay. I'm good. But what job do you have better after this? Like, you're going to go, what, be the head of a bank, like go sit on the, I I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's a tough go on the other side. And then for O'Toole, I had said the night, actually a very tired, tired woman that I was at like 1130 at night, I was asked if we thought he'd stay. And I had predicted Shear would stay because I'm like, of course they get two kicks at the can. That's only fair. Like he increased our seat count and you know, we got like the majority of the vote and he got just like boots put to him and out he goes. So I was predicting that, um, Aaron would have a hard time holding on to his leadership. Um, I still think that remains to be the case, but I think it's going to be slow if it does happen. I will say, I think his team to Claire's point have been pretty sophisticated and and good in rolling out kind of endorsements. And like, we've seen a lot of that staggered out. Um, but I don't think that caucus vote that happened this week was like the vote to do the reform act thing or whatever the hell it is, was going to be the time they pulled the trigger. Anyway, if they did it, it would be a lot more we're a lot meaner and a lot we do it more quietly than than some like nice fancy vote at caucus. So I think it remains to be seen. But uh drug me scene for sure will be there. My guess is the PM will be there. And I'm actually moving more towards I think it's like 50-50 if Aaron O'Toole is there. I thought for sure he wasn't going to be, but I think I might be wrong there. So cool. All right. Well, we are out of time, friends. Thank you for coming on uh and doing an abbreviated um less spicy version of our retreat conversation uh and thank you listeners for your patience as we took a couple weeks off for uh election stuff and work stuff and all those sorts of things but we are back and we'll be here every week going forward until the summer months so we will be regularly in your ear uh and i hope you guys will come back later promising your your leadership predictions because i will hold you to that in a couple months and i'll make sure that we uh we have you back on so thanks for coming on the show Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Draypack, and Matt Barnes. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guests, Matt, Claire, and Kathy. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Poly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.